said that this is her favorite song. I hope it's not your unfavorite by the time I get finished. I hope it uh, actually opens up the psalm even more to you and we appreciate it even more. Good to see Peggy Lundy here in class today. I had a call from my son Aaron, who's a lawyer down in Houston, he's a constitutional lawyer. He said that Peggy had called him and invited him to speak at Discipleship University. What is that, Peggy? I'm going to be uh, September 23rd. September 23rd. I'll make sure everybody knows. Yeah, we'll let you know. And he's going to talk about, I guess, the Constitution, the Supreme Court, <coughs> religious liberty, and all that. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we'll tell you a little bit more about that. Well, Psalm 91, are you ready? <coughs> Okay, the first thing you'll notice, there's no superscription over uh, verse 1. So this is an anonymous psalm. We do not know who wrote it. And it is a timeless psalm in its application. The theme of this psalm is the importance of depending upon God uh, when people put you in the crosshairs of their scope and they're out to get you. And there are people who are out to get you. You might not realize that. There are people who would like your demise. They'd like to see you fall. Uh, they spread rumors. They they've, uh, you know, have a lawsuit against you, a frivolous lawsuit against you. They want to hurt you. What do you do in a situation when people have you in their sights and seek your destruction? That's what Psalm 91 is about. So when you look at it, we're going to divide it in three sections, and our outline is going to be something like this. Verse 1 is section 1. It is, uh, gives us a guiding principle to live by in these circumstances. So this is a gen generic or a guiding principle to live by. Verses 2 through 13 tell us how to apply that principle to our life. Applying the principle to our life. And then verses 14 through 16, we have God affirming the principle. Uh, God actually speaks for himself in verses 14 through 16. So that section is an oracle, where God speaks directly. So let's look at those three sections. Section number one, verse one, the guiding principle. Look what it says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now I want you to notice three things. First of all, I want you to notice uh, the verbs there. Notice, he who dwells, he who abides. Uh, this speaks of an ongoing act, dwelling, abiding. It's not a hit and miss. You don't run to God when you just have a problem. But the person who is in constant contact with God, who abides in the secret place of the Most High. Notice the pronoun in verse 1, the pronoun he. Not a particular person. It simply means whoever abides in the secret place of God uh, is a person that he's going to bless. The he represents you. It represents me. Whoever dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. Notice the descriptive nouns there and the adjectives that go with it. Secret place. Shadow. Uh, these are figurative words. Not literally. God doesn't cast a shadow, does he? Does God cast a shadow? 
don't have to cast a shadow. He doesn't have a body to cast a shadow. So these are figurative words, and they represent something. Uh, what it's talking about, the secret place and the shadow, are talking about places of protection. If you abide in a place of protection that God provides, and you abide in this place of protection that's almighty's, then you're going to be blessed. He's going to protect you. And uh, so these words, secret place and shadow, speak of places of protection. Uh, like a child runs to a safe house in the neighborhood to get away from a bullet. Some houses are designated like that. In the news recently, we've been hearing about sanctuary cities, where people can go to a certain city, and they're not going to be harassed by the government or whatever. We know that many churches are designated as sanctuaries where people can go, and uh, they're protected so this is talking about places of protection. It's like a shelter that you would go to to ride out a storm. So that's what this is talking about. So because God doesn't actually have a secret place, how can he have a secret place when he's you know, omnipresent everywhere? <laughs> and God doesn't, have a, doesn't cast a shadow. It's just talking about us needing to run constantly to God as the one who is our secret place or our protection. We find our protection in him. That's what it's talking about. So now what we have, so that's the principle. The principle is run to God. Stay in touch with God. Okay? Now he applies the principle in verses 2 through 13. And first the writer applies the principle to himself. Now look what he says in verse 2. Notice the words, I will. Okay? He says, I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fort." So notice, it's not that God has a secret place, or God has a shadow. It's God himself who's the refuge. You see that? He's the fortress. The word fortress is simply an elongation for the word fort. Hey, the Indians are coming after you. It's 1880. We need to get to Fort Apache. Quick! If you get to the fort, guess what? You're protected by the wall. Well, so God himself is our protection. And what the writer says is, I will say to the Lord, he or you are my refuge and my fortress. So it's God himself who is our protection. Notice the word Lord there. Do you see all capitals? We know from past weeks. What does that mean? Yeah, that's a covenant name. Yahweh. This is the one who, if you run to, he will protect you because he's made an agreement to protect you. So when he says... I will say to the Lord in verse 2, He's my refuge and my fortress. And look what else he says. My God. Notice all these personal things. My refuge. My fortress. My God. And then look what he says at the end of verse 2. In Him I will trust. So, if you want to know what it means to run to the secret place or... To get under God's shadow, it simply means what? According to the end of that verse. Just trust in Him. You're going to trust in God. You're not going to trust in anything else. Ultimately, you're going to trust in God. You say, God, help. I need help. He is the one that you trust. Uh, the other nations trusted false gods. The other nations trusted their weapons to protect them. A lot of us do the same thing. We trust in superstitions, we trust in their weapons, we trust in all this. Ultimately, the writer says, hey, the only thing I'm trusting in is God. 
He's, he is my fortress. He is my refuge. Now he applies it to his readers. So look at verse 3. He says, surely he will deliver you. Do you see that? Not only do I, well, I do this. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Notice, surely, there's a certainty there. There's a guarantee. There's a promise. And here's the promise. He shall, not he might, not that he'll consider it. He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. If we trust him like the writer trusts him in verse 2, God will deliver us. What will he deliver us from? What does it say? Number one, the snare, which is a trap. There are people who are out to trap you. And it's hard to believe that there are people that, are, that would do that. Now, now, he's talking about a trap. What kind of a trap? The trap of a fowler. What's a fowler? Well, if you see F-O-W-L, what do you think of? The bird. It's the guy trying to catch birds. <laughs> and guess what? You're the bird in somebody's uh, target. <laughs> They're trying to catch you. See? And not only will he protect you from their traps, and let me tell you, there are people who are plotting to get you to bring your downfall. You know? And you know who they are. And some of you are in that boat right now. I'm thinking of somebody in our class who's not here today but just told me that there's a big lawsuit this, that he's facing. It's going to be like a, you know, half a million dollars for no reason. I mean, it's not like he's done something illegal. It's just that they're out to get it. You know, they want some money and this is how they're going to do it and he's the one that they're going to try to get it from. So there's somebody that's trying to trap you. Now what does it say when people are out to do that? If you trust in God, he will surely deliver you from that snare, from that trap. Now there's a second thing that he'll deliver you from in verse 3. And from the perilous pestilence. Uh, this is talking about sweeping disease that goes across the nation. This is like Ebola. You know? This is like the plagues that, that uh, you know, spread throughout Egypt during Moses' time. In fact, some people believe that Moses wrote this psalm. Why do they believe that? Because he wrote Psalm 90, right? And some people believe that he wrote, wrote the next nine psalms. And uh, here's a word that says he'll deliver you from the pestilence. I could see Moses thinking about that and saying, hey, he delivered us from the pestilence in Egypt. And he'll continue to do that if we trust him. So there is the second thing he delivers us from. Now look at verse 4. Not only will he deliver you, notice he'll protect you. Verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers. He shall cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. Now, I want you to know that God doesn't have feathers. You know that? So what is he saying? He's using metaphoric language. He's using figurative language. He said, God is like a mother hen who when her chicks are in trouble, the mother hen just spreads her wings, her feathers over the chicks, and she protects them. He's not only going to deliver you, but he will protect you like a mother protects her children. In verse 3, guess what he'll do? He will deliver you. That's what a father does. He goes in there and he confronts the one who's Trying to trap you. That's what a father does. But in verse 4, God's like a mother. 
a mother hen who just protects you. The God doesn't have a sex, by the way. Did you know that? So here these are similarly saying that God is compassionate. God can you know, take, do whatever he has to do to take care of his own. And then he says this in verse 4. He says, His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Now, we discover something. That one of the things that God uses to protect you is shield and buckler. His truth is your shield. His truth is your buckler. Now, what's a buckler? I mean, I actually had to look this thing up because I'm not that smart to figure out what's a buckler. I have a buckle in my pants, but that's not what a buckler is. So the shield is a great big shield that covers your entire body. In fact, Lynn helped me look this up. We looked it up on Wikipedia, so you know it's right. <laughs> so it's the one that protects your entire body. But guess what? Sometimes you have to do hand-in-hand -hand combat. And the buckler is the small shield that goes, hooks onto your arm, and it's, a, it's round, so that you can go like this. See? And so what it is, whether it's a... And we're talking about traps here. People are trying to trap you. Whether it's a big trap... You got a shield that will protect you. If it's a little trap, you got a buckler that will protect you. What is the big shield and what is the buckler? What does he say in verse 4? It's what? His truth. His truth. See, when people are spreading rumors about you, you know what will protect you? Truth. That's what will protect you. When people are trying to bring a frivolous lawsuit, guess what it is? His truth. It doesn't mean you just get up in court and give the truth. It means you live according to God's truth. You live according to His covenant. You try to live this righteous life. So that is, you'll have truth on your side. You have His truth on your side. Now look at the result, verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Now this describes deliverance from fear. Do you see that? There are traps that God needs to deliver you from. There are things that he needs to protect you from. It's his truth that protects you. <clears throat> but you also need to be protected from another thing, and that's the fear. Look, you shall not be afraid, afraid, say, of the terror by night, not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day. So we have 24-hour protection, and therefore we shouldn't be afraid. Whether you're awake you shouldn't be afraid. Whether you're asleep, you shouldn't be afraid. And this is an amazing thing. There are many people of God who live in constant fear. A what if. There are people who are afraid to go to sleep at night. They think about all the things that are going on around them during the day. And they can't go to sleep at night. They have night terrors. And it says, you know, if you make God your refuge... You don't have to be afraid, because while you're awake, he'll protect you, and while you're asleep, he will protect you. The arrows there could represent, in this historical context, you know, attacks. The pagan nations, the Canaanites actually followed a goddess who was the goddess of archers. <laughs> and it could be talking about the pagan nations invading Israel. It could even be talking about that. But the bottom line is, you don't have to be afraid. 
So, if you are, if a tornado hit, and you were 10 feet underground in a shelter, you don't have to be afraid of that tornado, what it's doing on the surface. You don't have to worry about that. And that's what it's talking about here, that there are, you don't have to be afraid, because it's God who's the one that you're trusting in. You're not trusting in yourself. Nor, he says in verse 6, of the pestilence. You don't have to be afraid of that. That walks in darkness. Nor of the destruction that lays waste in the noon. So he's talking about disease. He's talking about warfare. He's talking about people trying to get you. So then he throws in this other promise. This is very interesting in verse 7. He says this. A thousand may fall at your side. And 10,000 at your right side. But it shall not come near you. And the word you is emphasized in the text. And that's why it's put at the end of the sentence. So no matter what happens around you, you don't have to be afraid because it won't come near you. On what basis can we say that? We can say it on the basis that God has established a covenant with us. And he says, if you enter this covenant and walk in righteousness, I will keep my end of the bargain. Keep your end of the bargain, and I will keep my end of the bargain, and therefore you will be safe. That's what he's saying here. Verse 8, he says, only your eyes, with your eyes shall you look, and you'll see the reward of the wicked. All you have to do is rest in me, and guess what? You'll be able to witness what I do to the wicked. Those that are out to trap you, those that are out to get you, your adversaries will fall. It will be like a Greek tragedy where the person who's out to get you in their trap ends up becoming the victim of their own trap. He says you'll witness their demise, even in your lifetime, in a sense. And then he reiterates the promise in verse 9. Because you made the Lord who is my message. Even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor any plague come near your dwelling. Notice he goes back to verse 2. He says, if you make the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, who is my refuge, your refuge, just as he's protected me, he'll protect you. It won't even come near your dwelling. So uh, this is a great promise, and it's a promise that's been reiterated to us, and we need to claim that promise for ourselves. Look at verse 11. For he, and here's how I know that this is true, how I know that I'm protected, because he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. This tells us how God protects and delivers us. He uses angels. We have guardian angels who watch over us. We all think, think about, not all of us, but sometimes we hear that we, each one of us has a guardian angel. Does that say angel singular or angels plural? There are angels. We entertain angels unaware all the time. We don't know that. They're in our midst right now and protecting us. And this is how God protects us. He protects us 
by us walking in his truth, and he protects us through the supernatural means of the angels. Okay? But there's a condition. There's a condition. Now look at verse, and the condition is that we walk in the truth. Now look at verse 12. In their hands, that's the angels, in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. In other words, you're so safe that you won't even stub your toe. That's how well protected you are. If you just walk in the Lord and in His truth, you won't even stub your toe. Yes, will there be an attack? Yes, there will be attacks. Yes, will people be out to get you? Yes, they will be out to get you. But guess what? The angels will protect you. You won't even stub your toe. See? So that's what he's saying right there. Now it's interesting to me that these verses right here, verses 11 and 12, are the verses that the devil quotes to Jesus when he's tempted in the wilderness. After Jesus fasts 40 days and he's tempted in the wilderness, you know, the devil takes him up to the top of the temple and he says, Look down, at the, and he puts him in the most holy place of all, the temple, where God's presence resides. And he says to Jesus, the devil says to Jesus, Jump! And then he quotes this verse, these verses. Because he'll give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now, I want you to know something. Anytime you hear the devil say to you, jump, commit suicide, whenever you have that thought in your mind, commit suicide, you know where it's coming from, right? That's the devil. God doesn't tell us to do that. For Jesus to jump, would that have been in God's will or outside of God's will? Outside, because God's will was that Jesus would redeem us, right? Satan's trying to shortcut that. He's trying to shortcut your life. So Satan quotes these verses to Jesus in the temptation. And the amazing thing is, he quotes the verses, but he twists them. It's not he, he quotes the verse, but he doesn't give the true interpretation of what it means. He keeps us when we're walking in our ways, which are in accordance with God's ways. Psalm 1, you know, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You're familiar? That's Psalm 1 repeating itself right here. So to walk outside of God's will is not to walk in his ways. And he won't protect you when you're outside of his will like that. But Satan quotes those scriptures. And every cult that I've ever studied uses scripture to support their views. But they twist the scripture. They distort the scripture. So just because you know, somebody gives you a piece of literature and a scripture and it don't think that's a Christian group, that could actually be the voice of Satan himself. Now look at verse 13. Look at this promise. I like this. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Now, this doesn't mean that each one of us, if we trust in the Lord, can become a lion tamer. You know, in the circus. Is that what it means? No, I don't think that's what it means. These words are also figurative words. These animals in verse 13, the reptiles in verse 13, represent evil. Okay? Now the lion. 
Who do you think the lion represents? No, it represents the devil. You can tread on the lion. Now look at that. Satan, like a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he, whom he may what? Devour. He's trying to destroy you. He doesn't usually do it directly. He uses other human beings. <laughs> and guess what it says you can do? Tread on the lion. It also has cobra in there. My Bible has cobra, asp, poisonous snake. You know anybody's represented as a serpent? I think the devil's represented as a serpent. He's out to strike and destroy you. And then the last one there in verse 13 is serpent, which some translations say sea monster. Anybody say sea monster? A dragon. Yeah, that's what the word is. Dragon. Revelation 12 describes Satan as that great red dragon who takes one third of the angels and sweeps them down from heaven. And they become his demons and do his bidding. So each one of these words represents the devil. Represents evil. And you can, you're promised that you shall, not might, you shall tread upon the lion, the cobra, the young lion, the serpent. And you'll trample them underfoot. Uh, right now I've got a pair of cufflinks on. This is a cufflink that depicts St. George and the dragon. George, St. George is the patron saint of England. And the story is, it's a myth, it's a legend, but he, he has to confront this monster that comes out of the sea, the dragon. And the depiction is St. George on the cross, who himself represents Christ, with a spear shoving it down the throat of the dragon, which represents Satan. Notice the word tread. What does the word tread mean? You ever watch the wrestling matches? Somebody stands up and goes. <laughs> I never watched them, but I, when I was a kid, I did. <laughs> yeah, to, to step on somebody's neck is to be victorious over them. So that's what he that's promise is that we can be victorious over our enemy, who are all basically inspired by Satan, whether they realize it or not. They're doing his bid. So that's the second section, right? <laughs> And then the final section, God affirms this principle that if you trust in him, you walk in his truth, you, know, you see, come under his shadow in a sense. Uh, he affirms that principle through an oracle, and he begins to speak in the first person. So look what he says. Because he, and that's the person who uh, we see up in verse 3, the person who walks in the way of the Lord, Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. Because he has set his love upon me, God says, I will deliver him. Notice the word because and the word therefore. You see that? That's a cause and effect, isn't it? If we do what? Glance at God in love, oh, I love Jesus. We 
focus. We set our love on him. We are desirous to serve him as one of the pictures of God's relationship with us is a, a husband and a wife. You know? And you see, and they look into each other's eyes and there's a love affair that goes on there. And if we set our love upon God, if you set your love upon me, I will deliver him, he says. So there's that love, trust, relationship, cause and effect. That's a promise. It's a guarantee. It's not a hope so or might. Look at verse, into verse 14. I will set him, that's the person who sets his love on God will set him, I will set him on high because he has known my name. Now notice, if God sets you on high, he sets you above the enemy. So he sets you out of reach. Yeah. And why will he set us on high according to the end of verse 14? Because what? We've known his name. We know his name, his real name. We, we acknowledge his name, which is Yahweh, which is Lord, you see, we've entered that covenant. We we are we will declare from the housetops we are serving the Lord. See? And because of that, he will put us above the enemy, the traps of the enemy. Notice the words I will. Verse 14. I will deliver him. I will set him. So that's the second time God says, I will. Now there's a third time he promises something. Look what he says. He shall call upon me, and what? I will, you see. I will answer him. Not I might answer him. Help is always on the way when we call out to the Lord. And we made a phone call the other day to uh, Home Depot. Because we saw some shades in there. And we wanted to find out about them because they'd be cut to a small... Guess what? Home Depot, put down what department you want. One for, you know, lumber, two for, and you went through you know, 25 numbers. And after that, well, guess what? After 10 minutes of pushing the buttons, now you wait. And there's still no answer. Right? You don't get, you don't, yeah, you don't get the response. God says in verse 15, He shall call upon me, and I will what? Oh, he answers his phone. That's the guarantee. It's not like if you call upon him, oh, you might get an answer, you might not get an answer. That's a guarantee. That's a third I will. I think that's a third I will. Look, continue to go in verse 15. I will be with him in trouble. Trouble's always good. We're not, we're not going to not be in trouble. But guess what? When, when we're in trouble, he's with us. Now that's a great promise, isn't it? If God's for you, you know the story, right? Yeah, I mean, He's with us. He'll be there. He doesn't leave us there to fend for ourselves. He is with us in trouble. Lo, I am with you always, Jesus said, even to the end of the age. I think that's the fourth or fifth out I will. I'm not sure which one. Look at the next I will. Toward the end of verse 15. He says, I will deliver him and honor him. There's the promise. I will deliver him. I will show him respect. I'm not going to humiliate you into deliverance. You don't have to grovel. He will deliver us and he will honor us. We'll keep our reputation. Look at this. I will honor him with long life. I will satisfy him. Well, I like that. 
to be satisfied. And not only that, I will show him my salvation. I will show him my deliverance. It will be apparent to him and everybody else that the deliverance came from God's divine hand. And that's Psalm 91. That's Jermaine's favorite psalm right there. A lot of promises there, isn't it? I believe this is a promise that every one of us can hold on to. You know, if this was promised to the Old Testament saints under the Old Covenant, can you imagine how much greater the promises are to the New Testament saints under the New Covenant? Boy, did we fall short of claiming God's promises. When I read something like this, and I see the condition of most churches, I'm apt to say, boy, I wish I were an Old Testament saint. <laughs> it seems like the promises are unlimited. I think this is a promise that every one of us can hold on to, and even the even greater promises of Jesus. And I believe a passage like this is designed to motivate us to trust in the Lord, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and might, and to walk in His way. And when we do, we can claim the Son of Israel. Amen? Next week will be Psalm 92. Lord, I thank you for uh, the song. What promises. What protection. What deliverance. Even when we get ourselves into our own messes and we realize we're not without hope. We don't have to defend on, on ourselves. We can come to our senses. We can, we can turn back to you. We can cry out to you. Oh, Lord, we ask that you continue to protect us. Protect us from the traps that people have set. And deliver us from those that we're in the world. Christ's name.